And here we go. My goodness, the, the 27 churches plus that have all gathered together come from all different places. What a joy that it feels as though it is seamless. Seamless as you move from fellowship to fellowship. We have all of this in Christ. Amazing as it is, how our hearts have been stirred again and again to launch into an explosive now, into a new and more generous life of giving to Jesus after all that he's given to us. And as we finish up this morning, it's really important that we desperately study one more thing. And that one more thing that we really need to take a look at is the one thing that we've looked at all weekend long. But as we look at it now, I want us to really look at exploding into a more powerful now. And that comes when we really begin to appreciate Jesus's love and grace for you, for me. And sure, we, we all know the words, we know the words love, we know the words grace, but it's just so difficult at times to really allow it to kind of marinate all the way through into our soul where it really has that lasting impact that results in an unstoppable, unrelenting now of wonderful living in joy in the spirit of Christ. And as we look at it this morning, I don't want to just look at a more powerful now, but I want to look at grace because it is the key to repentance. And so you may be saying to yourself, oh, wait, wait a minute. So you're saying, I need to repent? Oh, is that, is that what we're talking about? Is that what you're trying to say? That's what's going on here? Well, yeah, why does it seem we always get our knickers all caught up in a knot when we talk about repentance? That's a Britishism. I have a, a, a British daughter-in-law, so I can throw those out now. I've got, I've got cred. But we do get that way at the mention of repentance. Years back, I wrote a book on repentance. I noticed that nobody ever buys anybody that book as a gift. There you go. Sam Lang's book, you know, A Guilty Soul's Guide to Grace. Oh, everybody's giving that to one another. And yet, repentance is this beautiful gift. It is the fullness of expression that begins in the love of God, the grace of Christ, and is a continuum that only recognizes an understanding when it is expressed through our repentance, through the fruit of our repentance. And this morning, we're going to look in, the, in this sermon entitled, Here and Now. Here and now are the words that are on the lips of someone somewhat famous, especially if you're in Kingdom Kids classes. And it's that wee little man. Anybody know who it is? There you go. You're on it. It is Zacchaeus, a wee little man. And yet, when we really study this wee little man, it is such a remarkable difference from the little self-board that we experience in children's ministry. I, the, the, the little kind of song that we would learn to sing about, about Zacchaeus was that Zacchaeus was a wee little man 
join me if you like. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as he looked up in the tree, and the Lord looked up and spoke, Zacchaeus, you come down from going to your house today. From going to your house today. But I think once we study this, we put on our little inner Israelite to be able to see this through the eyes of the first century audience that would have participated in this story, it's not going to be so much Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, but I think it's going to be something more like Zacchaeus was a foul, repulsive man. A foul, repulsive man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree and up his cloak everyone could see. Oh, you will be disillusioned in just a moment. But it is a story of grace. The moment when Jesus' eyes met Zacchaeus' eyes, it's worthy of an opera aria. How transforming that moment is for him and for us. And what we'll find is, just in that song, that we begin to understand grace, when we begin to appreciate grace, I think we'll begin to appreciate who we are, and as Angel said so well, who Christ is, but then who we are in Him. But here's the difficulty, and why often we're not vaulted, launched into a life of repentance, is because too often we overestimate our before picture and underestimate our after picture. The gospel, boiled down, distilled into a beautiful sentiment, is basically this. You are more rank, rancid, rotten, repulsive, and shameful than you would ever care to consider. And yet now, more remarkable, respected, sweet, desired, you're more beautiful, dignified, significant, you're more honored, and you're more loved and life than you would ever dare hope. Let's look in Luke 19, starting in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was very wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he, was a short, because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people who saw this began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, 
because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's a beautiful picture and it's a nice bookend to Luke's Gospel. He begins the Gospel with John the Baptist in this very spot, in Jericho, at the Jordan River, receiving those wanting to be baptized and saying to them, you brood of vipers, what are you doing coming here? Trying to avoid the coming wrath. Produce fruit that proves your repentance. Oh, and don't give me that old excuse, we have Abraham as father. I tell you, God can raise up children for Abraham out of these stones. Then he says, the axe is already at the root of the tree. And anyone who doesn't produce the good fruit of repentance will be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's how Luke begins his gospel. And in that story, we have tax collectors coming up to be baptized, being called to repentance. We, we also have soldiers. We have others that have a bit of wealth. But we don't see any of them walking away as the fruit of repentance. But where do we have that in Jericho? We have it right here. Just before the ending of Jesus' ministry, Jesus is on his way up the hill to Jerusalem. It will only be next week that he ends up in Jerusalem ready for his final day. And it's at that moment that Luke gives us this beautiful example of repentance in Luke 19. Now, as I mentioned in my version of the Wee Little Man song, that there might be something rather repulsive about this man Zacchaeus. And one of the things, in addition to the fact that he was a collaborator with the occupying Romans, the other thing was is that as a Jew, modesty was a high premium. And, and as a Jew, there were certain scriptures that really resonated. For example, at the end of the Ten Commandments, which would have been known by all, the very next thing that is stated is when you build an altar, don't build it with, with steps. Because if you end up up high like this, and you don't have your, your, your proper garments on, well then you're gonna expose yourself to those below. I wore long pants today, we're all good. But Zacchaeus began to do things that were so repulsive to the community around them, it would have sent a shockwave of shame that would have made its way through multiple generations. The fact that a mature man, he must have been mature that if he rose to the, the status of chief tax collector, not just tax collector, that a mature man would run. Luke 15, when, when the father runs to the son, is often cited as a passage that causes jaws to drop in the Middle East. People who understand that a dignified patriarch never runs. It is below your station. And so for Zacchaeus, in the middle of a big crowd where everybody's watching, would suddenly run up ahead, that enough has brought shame on his home. But then he climbs a tree. He's up there, and he's wearing a cloak and a tunic. He's not, he's not wearing pants. And if his loins are not girded, well then, it's a little bit more of a show than they paid for. I mean, you may not know what it means to gird your loins, but 
I was able to go to the website The Art of Manliness and provide for you an illustrative manual on if you ever happen to be wearing a tunic and a cloak one day and you needed to run or work or fight or climb a tree or run ahead, here's what you kind of need to do to, to kind of get ready for all of that. But that takes a while to do that. And chances are, if Zacchaeus didn't want to lose his chance, he wasn't stopping suddenly to gird his loins. And up the tree he may have gone, and so not only is he a repulsive man by his occupation and by many other characteristics of him, but he's now all the more repulsive. If we go to the next slide. My first point is rotten fruit. Zacchaeus in that tree is an odd sight for sure. And that tree, which may have had figs as fruit in that sycamore fig tree, had one other piece of fruit up in it. And that fruit was a rank, rancid, rancid rotten fruit. And it was a man perhaps as hated as possibly could be by his community. Now, for us, we don't really understand what it would be to be a, a collaborator with the enemy. But I, I grew up in a Lithuanian home. I'm first-generation American. My mom, my grandma, uh, my grandfather, they all came over literally on a boat, Ellis Island, Statue of Liberty, proud to be an American, all that, right? All, all of that. that, that was our experience. We grew up outside of New York City, you know, ethnic, all that stuff. But one, one of the things that we really began to appreciate, because Lithuania was not really free from the Soviets until the early 90s, and, and all during that time, we were always trying to help our relatives that were under the oppressive Soviet yoke. And one of the things that would always make its way through the Lithuanian-American community was the rumor that someone may have become a collaborator with the Soviets. Ho, ho, ho. I, I learned so many Lithuanian curse words over this subject matter as a kid. Because if you would ever, with those foul, stench Soviets, decide to get in league with them, and even worse, many of my family's friends, who, who would, or they became former friends, who collaborated with the Soviets, they also began to prosper. And, and rather than yet another meal of potatoes and beets, suddenly they were eating good in the neighborhood. So, suddenly they had an addition to their home. Suddenly, they had a car that was newer than 15 years old. And that only added fuel to the flame of the distaste, of the disdain that all of the community had against those collaborators. And they had to just kind of swallow the hatred and just try to find some sort of comfort in the fact that maybe their family is safe because the Soviets won't target them, and maybe they could take some sort of comfort in the possession that they were able to gain through all of that. But know this for sure, that family, those were pariahs, outcasts of all outcasts. Take that, multiply it by a few dozen, and suddenly you've got something that looks like Zacchaeus. Because he is now part of the shakedown team of Rome, trying to suck Israel dry with whatever resources it has to send it back to Rome. And not only that, he's risen to be the chief among all of these shakedown artists. And he's getting a skim off of everybody 
and as he begins to grow in his wealth, and it says that he is quite the wealthy man and the accomplished man, imagine, imagine what the community felt about him. Rotten fruit indeed. Go to the next slide. But he's rotten fruit picked by Jesus. Oh, how I would love to be on those streets of Jericho. The moment that Jesus stopped the parade. He's, he's at the peak of his popularity, Jesus is. Crowds pressing in. They're about to, in just a few days, sing, Hosanna, Hosanna! Here he comes in the name of the Lord. He saves, he saves. But right before that, in the midst of all of this adulation, he stops. And he looks up at the sight that probably all of the other members of the community were probably shading their children's eyes. That, that rotten fruit, that Zacchaeus. Don't even get a glimpse of it out of your peripheral. Like, shade your eyes. It's almost like parents protecting kids from an eclipse, right? Just don't, don't look at that Zacchaeus. Ugh. But then Jesus looks up of all the people, and then to honor him by stating his name. We can't even begin to estimate what that must have felt like, not only to Zacchaeus, but to that whole crowd as well. Picked by Jesus. The power of the call. It is a powerful thing indeed. Let's go to the next slide. Now, maybe as a small little help on this, of course, we all recognize this great president of the United States. In just a few weeks, probably a lot of you kids are going to dress up as Jester A. Arthur for Halloween. People will, of course, confuse you and say, oh, you're Wolverine. No, Jester A. Arthur. But Jester A. Arthur was something akin to a Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector of the Port of New York City at the time when that was the number one revenue source in the United States in 1850. But he was also the poster child for everything wrong with America during the Gilded Age. The spoils system, or the patronage system, was in full swing, and certain robber barons that would be able to kind of guide the affairs of our, of our nation we're getting rich off of the, the backs of the rest of the populace. And as a civil servant, that's even more unseemly. And that is exactly who Chester A. Arthur was. He was that man. And he, he became a dandy. He wore the finest clothes. He had waistcoats that were obscenely bright, smoked the best cigars. And in 1880, in the, the election of 1880, when Garfield, James Garfield, was presented by the Republican Party, they had a bit of a, a schism, and they, they couldn't decide how to solidify the party, especially the Northeast faction. There was a big party boss up in the Northeast named Roscoe Conkling. He was the man who was able to pull all the strings in the political machine, and he could get the votes to solidify Garfield as a viable candidate. And in order for him to get all those votes, he wanted his man as the vice president. 
So, backroom deals, more expensive cigar smoke, and voila, Chester A. Arthur, like the worst, becomes the vice presidential nomination for that election of 1880. And even more amazing, Garfield wins. But Garfield, ironically, campaigns on a platform that he will take down the spoils system. All the while, Roscoe Conkling is saying, sure you will, I got my inside man. And he's gonna make sure that you don't do that. Now, even crazier, a couple months later, some guy who doesn't get his special office of spoils after the new election, shoots James Garfield at Union Station in Washington, D.C. As he's lingering, dying, awful, awful last days that he had, only liked, by the way, by having railroad tracks built to Garfield, New Jersey, to the Jersey Shore, which he considered, rightly so, the most beautiful place on Earth. Jersey Strong. But Garfield dies, sorry to spoil it, but when Garfield dies, the newspapers had already been getting them America ready for, oh no, we might have the worst New Yorker in history as the President of the United States. I'm talking about Chester A. Arthur. Apparently there's murmuring in Luke 19 and here today. Chester A. Arthur, the headlines were abounding and when he was sworn in, it was a collective lament from all of America. We've got corruption in the highest office of the land, but right away, Chester A. Arthur went to work. Roscoe Conkling came to call on him at the White House, ready to, you know, scratch my back, huh? Scratch yours. Now, he was given the hand. Talk to the hand. Send him away. Roscoe Conkling was not received at the White House. Sent off. And then Chester A. Arthur went on to become the greatest reformer of the spoil system that America had ever imagined. He, he, he held, was instrumental in passing the Pendleton Act. Civil service as we know it today is because of him. And he then went down as one of the most effective presidents that we have ever known. And even Mark Twain in the 1880s. Mark Twain, who was no stranger to cynicism when it came to public figures, Mark Twain wrote at the end of Chester A. Arthur's administration that we Americans may never see again a presidential administration as great as that of Chester A. Arthur. Right, but then everyone said, what happened? How, how did he repent? What happened? He said, it was the power of the call. He was quoted as saying, I was called to the vice presidency by Roscoe Conkling, but I was called to the presidency by God. The weight of that call was a weight that rearranged everything that he understood. And as a result, he was vaulted into repentant administration, making massive changes. Next slide. And, and I think for us to recognize and to appreciate, we've been called by Jesus. We've been picked by Jesus. 
And you may be sitting here a little bit insecure. No, not me. I wasn't picked. You know, 2 Thessalonians tells us in verse 2, verse 14, he called you through the gospel. Why? So that you might share in the glory of the Lord Jesus. And that commendation that was given was not just Zacchaeus, I'm calling you by name, but Zacchaeus, I'm going to step over the threshold and come into your home. In the Middle East, you do that, and you cannot make a greater statement of attesting to the honor of a man than doing that. And, and yet, imagine the crowd. Imagine the crowd of, of, of feeling that. Is that fair? Should that really be? Next slide. Next slide. Zacchaeus got it. He knew the power of this call. He knew the power of that statement. And interestingly, he doesn't come down sheepish from that tree. He comes down secure in the call of Jesus. Are you secure in the call that Jesus has given you? You're insecure. Don't know what for. You're turning heads when you walk into the door. Don't need makeup to cover up. Being the way you are is enough. Everyone else in the room can see it. Everyone else but you. You're no accident. Christ called you at an awful and low point. But that's not your status now. Don't underestimate the after picture. Don't underestimate the security and the certainty that Jesus gives you, that you are truly picked by Jesus. Rotten fruit, yes you were, picked by Jesus. But look at the effect. Look at the, the here and now effect on Zacchaeus. Next slide. But the crowd, maybe they're onto something. Verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. I, I can see that. I can see why they would mutter. I hated collaborators with the Soviets growing up. I think if one of our family member associates who was a collaborator with the Soviets suddenly were given the Citizenship Award by, by Lithuania, we would be indignant. That's a big mistake. What if in Norfolk, one of our, our federal judges decided, you know, I just want to be more benevolent. Here's what I want to do, is this week, I am going to grant release to every single pedophile, to every serial rapist. How would you feel? You'd be like, oh, wow, that's so nice. 
No, you would rightly, rightly be up in arms. What? Not that. How can that be fair? But you know what? That's not grace. That is not grace. Grace takes so much more. Grace is so much more intense and deep. How is it that Jesus can say to Zacchaeus, in his shame, please, Zacchaeus, no more. Come down from the tree. Come down from the tree, Zacchaeus. Don't just come down from the tree. Let me honor you, Zacchaeus. Why is that fair? How is that fair? How can that be? Next slide. Here's why. Just sink in. Zacchaeus could come down from the tree because Jesus is on his way to go up to the tree for him. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem on this very journey to bear all of his shame, all of his indignities, all of his compromises, all of his sins. Jesus is on his way to take all of that and go up to the tree so that Zacchaeus can come down from the tree. As 1 Peter says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? So that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. Why is it that he can say to you, get down from the tree. Get down from your shame. Get down from your insecurity. Get down from the shackles of your sin. Get down from your insignificance. Because I'm going up to the tree to make you significant, to make you honored, to confirm you are loved, to change your life, to melt your heart, to stir your soul, to bring you a flame, to be able to state your own here and now. Here and now, Lord, you've done this for me. Here and now. Zacchaeus says, I give half half of all that I took comfort in, I give it away. And I better hold back a little bit because I've cheated a lot of people out of some stuff. So, and I'll, I'll give them back four times as much. Never mind the 20% as much. Four times as much. Next slide. Rotten fruit picked by Jesus is now ripe with repentance. Rotten fruit picked by Jesus is now ripe with repentance. We see it in Zacchaeus, unmistakable in Zacchaeus. Throughout this weekend, throughout our time together this morning, the spirit working on our souls, the clarity of the gospel of grace, the amazement of the love of Jesus for our souls, the, the desire he has for you not to live life in quiet desperation. All of that comes together. And now, what is your, next slide, here and now? For Zacchaeus, his here and now was, look, I'm ready, I'm ready to go. Without restraint, to give all that I need to give. What is it? You know the Holy Spirit has been working on your heart. My goodness. For me, I, I thank God I was able to come down from the tree. When I went up to the tree, I was just looking over a journal the other day of reflecting on who I was in the tree. And I wrote, I'm a, I'm a shallow man of shortcuts. At work, willing to shade data for my own succession. In the family, 
willing to put all aside for the sake of my own desires and pleasures. Right before Jesus called me, I, I had kissed two other women in bars. The only reason I didn't go any further than, than a kiss was because soon after I began vomiting, I was so drunk. On the way in this morning, I showed my daughter a spot at Baltic and 22nd that we all passed on the way here. I said, you see that? That's the last place where I was arrested in 1988. She said, last place? How deep does that playlist go? I, I have been arrested four times for drunken disorderly conduct. The sad part is, by the time we got to the fourth, it was a matter of, matter of course. You know like when your first kid drops the pacifier and you, you take out the hazmat suit and you sanitize that thing for weeks if you actually don't buy another one immediately? But by the second or third child, right? Well, hopefully you never know the same phenomenon, but it actually works with drunk and disorderly arrests as well. First time, oh, I can't believe it, I'm in jail. Oh, I'm a, I'm a suburban white guy in jail. Oh, I can't believe this. What's going on? By the fourth time, I'm in there with everybody else. Yeah, what's up, man? That's how jaded I had become. How used to the filth I had become. And yet Jesus still called me. And now, my goodness, I get to live a life of significance. I get to live a life unrestrained. What had up until that point in my life been a daily pornography habit. And this is the 80s. We have to go to the back of the video store like the loser of losers in order to have that habit. But that was me, that was my intent. And, and since, since the day that Jesus called me, since the day that I repented and was baptized, that was 1993, March 17th, I've not seen pornography since. I've been set free. I have a new life. Up until that point, I had a fake version of Christianity, never did something significant with it, never helped someone know Christ, never was engaged in the Word of God. But let me ask you, what's your here and now? Have a here and now as we leave. We have 4,000 people. If we have 4,000 here and now, what happens to the world around us? 4,000 here and now, what is going to be your decision? What is it that you're going to put away? What is it that you're going to embrace? What is it that you're going to do? Don't let all of this just come to a point where you stumble over truth only to brush yourself off and move on. But walk arm in arm with Jesus as Zacchaeus did in wonderful celebration about his here and now with your here and now, bringing it to others to be able to bless this world, show them the love of God, and make a massive difference. Go for it. Please, ACR, I love you. Let's do this. Are there any young people here? Did any young people come to the conference? 
are they? Okay. So here's what we're gonna do, uh, and we're gonna do our best to try not to get in trouble. Can, can we create a little pit down here? Can we get some folks to come down front? I feel so far away from you, and we're family. I feel so far away. Come on down here, come on down here. So while they're coming. So, uh, okay. Se habla espanol? Se habla? Se habla espanol? Doug Lambert, Jennifer, you guys speak Spanish? All right. All right, so here we go. Can y'all say this with me? Te amo. I love you. Con todo mi corazón. Te amo. I love you. Con todo mi corazón. With all my heart. Oh, Senio. 